Welcome everybody to the Jack the Realtor audio experience. This is Jack the Realtor, also known as Jack Conway with Today Real Estate. Today I find myself with a home field advantage as I sit at the good old Today Real Estate HQ Conference Room B. I gotta say, I'm really excited to introduce my guest today as they are someone I deeply admire for their ability to interact constructively with a range of generations. Chris Brenner, or as I call him, Mr. B, and as a large amount of my audience may know him as, has quite the story from a military background to being a remarkable high school teacher to teaching in areas of fitness, health, and mindfulness, and so much more. So without further ado, uh, Mr. B, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Pleasure to be here, Jack. Glad to help out in any way I can. So Mr. B, uh, I wanted to get to your comic book background backstory. So uh, who is Chris Brenner? And from the start to where you are now, can you give a little synopsis about who you are? Sure. It was uh, like a once upon a time history. Uh, Everybody used to say with the word history has a story. But uh, it started in Bristol, Connecticut, uh, Central Connecticut, now famous for ESPN headquarters. But it wasn't there when I was growing up. they came to town when I was in the, the college years. Uh, Bristol, Connecticut, Central Connecticut's a very, very good place to grow up. Uh, a lot of uh, interaction and uh, friends on the block. It was one of those old type of neighborhoods where you had kids in every house. So I myself have five brothers. Um, so, and I was the oldest of the pack. So uh, we always had a, a built-in pool of friends to play with. Um, but like I said, the neighborhood was arri- alive with kids. Uh, very happy childhood. Uh, went to school uh, at uh, in college at Villanova University, which is just outside Philadelphia. Uh, great couple, four years there. I started off uh, in a, kind of a general studies, but then worked my way over towards business. Uh, that was the way everybody thought was 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 the way to go in those days. So, but come my senior year, uh, as I was finishing off my uh, studies in accounting. Uh, I thought to myself, well, you're going to be graduating here in a few months. Do you really want to be one of the CPA types? Nothing against CPA work and accounting. It's, it's got its purpose and people love it. I endorse it. But I was uh, saying to myself, self, do you want to be one of these <laughs> CPA things? So I said, let me, let me try and see if there's uh, life beyond uh, the business world. And that's when my dad, God bless him, came into the, the picture and he said, uh, you know, uh, the services are, are still a place to, to offer some, some great experience right out of college. I didn't go through, obviously, the Naval Academy or even ROTC, so I would have to apply to a place called Officer Candidate School, which is the, uh, the shortest way to a commission. I was accepted for that and uh, entered uh, Navy OCS in hmm. January of 1981. Uh, and then was commissioned later that year as an ensign in the Navy. Uh, service line, which means it's traditional going to sea on ships. Lucky enough to be stationed right there in Newport uh, on a couple of ships. And uh, there started my journey, uh, you know, literally sailing the world, sailing the waters, uh, interacting with young men, uh, you know, assigned to my division. I was a gunnery officer on board my first two ships. I had about 10 men working for me, under me, uh, uh, in charge of, responsible for the maintenance of our large ship's gun, um, fire control radars, we had a small missile system on board. 
So a lot of this was, was learned uh, and experienced uh, leadership. You're thrown right into it. And uh, like I said, your training, uh, your accountability, it all becomes part of your fiber. Uh, the first four years in Newport were great. I was on sea uh, duty, and then I got transferred down to Virginia Beach, where I got assigned uh, officer in charge of an assault craft detachment, which uh, assault craft are nothing more than 130 feet of ferrying uh, barge-like um, craft, which take apparatus uh, from ships to the beach. So it's a ship-to-shore movement. It's the old-fashioned John Wayne uh, in the landing craft boats hitting and, the beaches. And, and Mr. B, if I may interrupt you, mm -hmm. uh, how old were you at this point? This was, uh, well, a couple years out of college now, so you're talking your first 22 to 25 years of age. And you already had experience managing yes. people at that point. Like I said, the, the services put you right into it. it yeah. there's, there's no, let me see how this works. Uh, that's, that's what you're given. And at the first... Uh, yes, it, it does seem a little daunting at first as to, uh, you know, multi-million dollar equipment, but most of all lives right. are, are assigned to your, uh, your division. Your, your responsibility. responsibility, yeah. So that Virginia Beach came and went, and then the one that really turned the next corner for the chapter of my life was I was uh, set up as an instructor at, at Navy OCS, where I had just been five years previous. And that's what opened the door to teaching. I, I got, for the first time, behind a podium course it was a canned curriculum from the Navy you have things that you have to basically share from the curriculum uh, but at that point I was coming up on nine years of active duty service and I said I'd like to make the switch over to education full-time and uh, so I actually shifted off active duty into the reserves and pursued uh, teaching um, certification in Connecticut uh, during the Virginia Beach stay, uh, my father had picked up a place right here in West Dennis, Massachusetts, and I, I, I kind of went in on the house with him, never thinking I'd be here full time. But uh, <laughs> when, when that shift happened and I, I wanted to pursue teaching, Connecticut, the central Connecticut area was a little bit short on uh, opportunities. Hmm. So my father said again, Drive that school up by the Cape, you know, just off exit eight. You come right down station Ave. You've seen it before. Oh, I've right been there, yeah. So. And, and, and that's where me and Mr. B met um, at Dennis Yarmouth High School. And what year was that? I'm just curious. When you first saw Cape Cod, when you first came here, and, you know, you first moved into that house. That, that was 1995 full-time because uh, we'd had it a couple of years. So what, did, what did that area look like? Because Mr. B knows that I live in West Dennis. I know that area how what did it look like back then and and how have things changed to now just to give mm -hmm. some value here well my area right down trotting park road on the way towards west dennis beach um already settled and uh you know the residences there are fairly much the same single ranches um uh, on my way down towards uh west dennis beach uh i really liked uh going through the, the wrinkle point area mm. uh, obviously it's right on the water or near the water. Uh, that's the area where I've seen in terms of build uh, that really has, in those 20 year, 25 years now, Jack, has, has really sprung up the most. Um, either people coming in to buy whole new structures, which are multi-level. Multi uh, my particular street and Trotting Park area has, has stayed fairly the same, but it's along the water where I noticed the biggest uh, you know, improvement to uh, homes or building new homes. Um, much uh, 
much of my experience is from uh, the bridge, not the big bridge, but West Dennis, the, the Bass River Bridge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, over towards uh, Dennis Port, south of 28, that's, that's come to be my area of, uh, this, these are the places I know. I'm familiar with. That's where you do your biking or your running. Oh yeah, and your the rail, the rail stuff. trail, the bike trail for my, uh, you know, my triathlon training uh, has opened up my eyes to other beauty and areas. Uh, you know, going up towards the uh, East Ham area and so on. I see from mm-hmm. the rail trail. Um, yeah, I've noticed some building along in terms of houses springing up, but uh, I, I will never ever regret uh, coming and moving out of Central Connecticut. And, and you know sticking my anchor down uh here permanently and you went right into dy just to circle back that's it 1995 was the uh my first year was as a permanent sub mr jenks who was going to be on <laughs> later as principal was the history teacher that i took over really and i never oh, was thinking goodness. i'll take your job mr jenks but one year <laughs> led to two years because he wanted to stay on and become you know administrative uh, capacity and he basically after two years said Chris you know I'm, I'm moving on from the classroom it's yours if you want to interview and you know certainly speak up for you so that's what happened and I third year in it was a permanent position and uh, don't blink I mean yeah 95 going back I can still remember the first faces I saw uh, over the years and uh, and still see a lot of <laughs> uh, yeah as, as, I, as, I, as I you know work now in new capacities so just to get back on track here before we dive deep mm-hmm. deeper than we have uh high school you also did some sports coaching as well yes yes uh trying to get my uh you know my interaction uh, not just in the classroom but all parts of the community so athletics were were there i volunteered uh most of my most of my coaching was with the, the girls softball program uh, helping out my friend uh, Mike Benazia with his program, uh, and that was a pretty successful program, from what I understand. Yeah, it it it. We, I glad, I'm glad to say it's it from the from the earliest days it was, <laughs> it was quite a, a challenge. But uh, yeah, just uh, just sticking with it, sticking to it, uh, <laughs> learning as you go, uh, just modeling the type of attitude and energy and uh, you know the work that has to be involved if you want to get better. So uh, that was always the classroom outside the classroom. Uh, mm. I'll always... Which we're definitely going to dive into here in a moment. I'll always remember those days. Um, you know, teaching high schoolers is tough, I'd imagine. But, uh, you know, to also be able to teach high schoolers, and for me, someone that went to high school, in the high school that you taught, Mr. B, I can honestly say I had my ear to the ground. Just so many students only had positive things to say about you. I never heard a negative thing about you. And that is just such a big accomplishment. I mean, to teach high schoolers effectively is one thing, but to also build a legacy amongst the high school that you did. Um, gosh, I mean, what do you think made it so that way you could resonate with so many high schoolers of different, you know, everyone, we went to a, a public high school and there's so many there's a big d- demographic disparity of all kind of people and all kind of walks of life. What do you think made you able to relate to every single student hmm. virtually? Uh, I, I appreciate that, Jack, first of all. I, uh, it's just the truth. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> I, I'm, not, uh, 
I'm just, I, I always would tell myself... Only the best here on the Jack the Realtor <laughs> audio experience, indeed, right? Indeed. <laughs> um, I, I just held to a few simple uh, tenets in, in, in my life. And if uh, uh, you believe in these, you know, simple, short reminders every day. Uh, first of all, I was always in tune with um, the other, what I call the other side of the desk. You could be up talking and doing your thing, what have you. But to me, it was always like, all right, how is this being received on the other side? And and that really set the foundation for the rest of it. Um, you know, I've had all kinds of levels in, in terms of uh, classes, uh, all types of, uh, you know, if you want to talk about the age groups from freshman year up through senior year, uh, I've had different classes with different ages, age groups, some homogenous in terms of uh, the, the, the same age groups. Others are... Diverse uh, in the with, diversity. With, with, exactly. Yeah. It was more of an elective where you had, you know, a, a greater span of ages. But The again, first class I had you with was an elective, and it was also leadership. That's that's the one, and that, <laughs> that was a classroom, as you remember. they The way they built that or structured it was almost like a pyramid in which most of the kids were the, of the younger grades, uh, 9 or 10, if you will, and uh, you worked your way up. There was uh, a fewer sophomores, a few less juniors, and finally one or two seniors that made it in there. So for me, I, I just thought of uh, as a natural, you know, model for uh, any other organization where you have to work your way in and work your way up. Um, but again, thinking on the other side of the desk, if 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 you have that little, almost like that reminder to say, how are you being received, either verbally people listening to you, little moments of you can read people if, if they're starting to fade off or if they're a little bit uh, jumpy, itchy, twitchy. Uh, start to be ready to, it, it's almost like playing with cards. Be ready to play a different card for a situation. Hmm. And, and you amass a lot of different cards to, to, to play. To pull out. To pull out <laughs> for, the, for the case. And so uh, you, you build up your portfolio of, of cards and what to play in terms of a situation. Um, but the other thing is I enjoyed the interaction because uh, these are people. And uh, it's not just a, a stage where a play is being set with actors. Mm. These are real-time people that you're dealing with, uh, including myself. So modeling, at first, it's, it's relationships, uh, trust, mm. uh, care. Uh, if these things can, can be established, then you... The, the sky's the limit as far as academics because uh, you know if you capture the heart you know the mind will follow and uh, and you live that because uh, you can't just uh, you know flick it on like a light switch shut it down yeah uh, and go through uh, you know the rest of your day and and uh, over the years uh, you know that, that that becomes I guess a, a routine a hobby a personality that it seems to uh, you know pull in all types and shapes and sizes of uh, of students and now it's of people because I love working with mindfulness now and, and I was about to say like you said freshman to senior right. but like holy mackerel I mean it doesn't stop there working with retirees right. and teaching them mindfulness and mm -hmm. you know that's a whole different situation where they've already had their life mm -hmm. to working with young adolescents who are just beginning and you're in the molding process right so it's, yeah, <laughs> people are, if you're a, if you're a lover of people and, and you have an openness where, uh, you know, you, you want to interact, 
you know people are you never know during the course of a day where someone is you know mm. up day down day and so on uh, and depending on where they are they're going to treat you a certain way you might think them rude or short uh, or callous but you don't know what's going on um, yeah. so you remember that everybody's going to be having those good days bad days you stay open almost like a business the open sign is always open in your window <laughs> In your and, classroom, and that's, that's awesome. it. You Jeez. stay open and be ready. And and because any moment something that you say could click, and it may not click right away, but absolutely. What I really hear when you speak, Mister B, is this theme of awareness. I mean, you say like you know you got to be ready, uh, you got to stay open, and you have different cards that you amass with experience, of course. But it, what ultimately matters is reading the situation so you can play that card. So I just like. I, I mean, that resonates with me because I've looked into mindfulness too, but I mean, that's really what I feel like has driven your ability to interact with just kind of so many different demographics of people. But I want to ask you, I want to hear from you, um, what has made you so effective at closing the generational gap when you're successfully communicating to teenagers, you know, middle-aged folks and retirees mm -hmm. is it the same principles and what are those principles yeah because <clears throat> i mean talking to a teenager is completely mm -hmm. i mean some people might say talking to a teenager is completely okay these kids these days and then you might say wow they listen these old guys they just don't get it mm -hmm. so like do you do you really have those cards for each situation is that kind of uh, Where do you take yeah, that? That's uh, <laughs> let me throw you the ball. Yeah, sure, you run with it. Though. Sure, it's it's <laughs> again. Uh, I I mentioned staying open, but uh, and also you gain an awareness of people's um, place in life, where they are, their situations, whether they're teenagers at home, uh, still living obviously with mom and dad, uh, not quite tasting that full independence, uh, and you know, based on where they are, they're going to have certain personalities, I would say. Hmm. Some might be frustrated because they do want that independence, they do want separation to start their own lives, and they'll act accordingly. They might be sh short-tempered, uh, frustrated with just wanting to be out. Uh, so that might carry over into their academics or, or just their general interpersonal uh, skills. Uh, people in their 20s, uh, and I think, all right, what are they up against? What are they going through? Maybe it's uh, you know their first job, uh, uh, early marriage. Uh, again, tapping into where they are gives you a little bit of an inkling into into how they act. Um, so life cir circumstances. Maybe they've been through a trauma and uh, you know the loss of a significant person in their lives recently or, or what have you, uh, and that carries through every decade. Every decade will have its so-called uh, needs, if you will, um, to be cared for and met. And you remember we had that leadership class, a big part of that class in the curriculum was uh, talking about Maslow's needs. And, you know, the first most basic needs are, are food, shelter, mm -hmm. and clothing. All right? If, and the people along the way, if that's threatened, then you really can't get much more in terms of interaction when somebody's either hungry or they don't have a roof over their heads. Human potential um, at that point gets limited. Absolutely, you got yes. you got to meet those needs to kind of increase the potential of a human. Right. So if I saw a kid, for instance, at a high school setting where I knew it was rough at home or what have you, and the food, what have you, the basics weren't really guaranteed. 
you know, there's no way he's going to want to learn about the War of 1812 like an eager beaver. So, uh, you know, you got to be <laughs> tuned in to a, a person. That flew right over my head for a second. Yeah. <laughs> so, you got to be tuned in to where a person is throughout life. And, uh, and but again, the, the openness comes back. If it's a senior yeah. now that I see in the, in the later years of life. Oh, man. <laughs> now have a, a different set. My kids are all gone, long gone. Uh, maybe they've lost a spouse. Maybe there's a medical uh, issue they're dealing with. Maybe they have to be moved. And so, you know, their home they've known for 50, 60 years is not possible anymore. So they have their own issues too. But just to be able to listen, uh, a lot of times it's just providing an ear so people can, can, can let that out. And maybe that's the first step in, in, in moving building on. that and communication build. and rapport. So it is. It's, it's knowing where people are. <clears throat> Trying to empathize with that. Meet them where they're at kind of Meet thing. Meet them where they're at, exactly. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So we kind of jumped around a bit, but basically from a military background in the Navy to, you know, I'll skip around to basically teaching high school, managing people all the way through um, on Cape here, on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, uh, and then coaching a bit in high school to now when when you when you left DY, I remember a lot of students were just heartbroken. Um, we even gave Mr. B a speech. Uh, I had the honor of giving a little spiel. Um, I, <laughs> I won't go into that, but basically, what happened after high school? Uh, my sister was up in New Hampshire now. Has always been a, a very close confidant of mine. Uh, I mentioned I had brothers. I also have a, a great sister. Uh, we call her the Rose Among Thorns, if you will. Um, but she's the one who's always been a big fan of mine as I've moved on from job to job and career to career. And she said, basically, listen, uh, you know, the public school might be ending as a chapter, mm-hmm. but you're still very much in the teaching mode. Why don't you look, and you've always been into health and wellness, why don't you look into something along the, length, the, length, the lines of... Uh, physical fitness and training and so on. And uh, that opened up the door towards mindfulness certification. What is mindfulness? Uh, that, that's another, depending on who you speak with, uh, they, they can have a lot of ways of interpreting it. I particularly like the one where it, uh, it, it is a, a way of, or a mindset that paying attention with curiosity and with compassion and kindness to what is going on in the moment, in the present, um, with, with a general, and I keep coming back to the word openness, an openness and a being more ready for whatever is, is, is about to happen. But, but staying in the moment, whether that be through any of your five senses, or I call them anchors, coming back to either focusing on a soft focus on your breath, Literally taking in your breath while you're having a moment where perhaps you are agitated, you are anxious, uh, whatever the case may be. Mindfulness is almost a way of saying, remember, if things threaten to take you away or you start to react in a physical negative way, react is the word. Mindfulness says remember to come back to the present. Whether that be Catching yourself, I used, to, I used to say it's like catching and release, like a fisherman. You catch yourself doing something and then release yourself. 
So, oh, I'm not going down that road. Or here I am reacting. Here I am about ready to do something. Yeah. Catch yourself. <laughs> Being in that mindful moment of catching yourself. Right before it. With yeah. curiosity, I should say, compassion. Don't beat yourself up saying, why do I keep thinking or doing or whatever? With compassion and kindness. And you can do that as many times as it takes. Hmm. Working your way through, like I said, a stressful or an anxious or a fearful moment. So it is. It's not running away from anything. Uh, it's not trying to suppress, you know, some other level of consciousness. But it is staying aware and awake and noticing what is going on always in the present. And uh, I, I think I find more you know, life more uh, alive, if you will, because you are noticing. Hmm. You know, the old expression, stop and smell the roses. Yes, well, <laughs> in a way, that is a little point of mindfulness. Um, you, know, you feel like... If, if I'm just catching your drift here, you feel like you're squeezing more out of life by, exactly. right. by actually... Right. The other metaphor I like to use is, uh, you know, why go around in a fog uh, of, of either thought or anxiety or what have you? Uh, it's so much better when you can see what's ahead of you. And that might be a path that you have to take. You, know, you have to go to work. You have to do what you have to do. But it's a clear path. Hmm. You're not in the fog wondering... Where am I going? Or a fog could be a fog of anger or, or, or regret. You know, mm. that's not a way to, you know, proceed. So this lifts the fog by coming back to a present moment and saying, all right, I see the path I have to take and, or that I want to take. Mm. And I can, I can go through clearly, you know. And uh, that, seems to, that seems to work. As, you know, I've been in this now for four years. Officially, you know, day by day, really appreciating and, and, and trying to do that paying attention. Um, and it's, I can say it's, it's a clearer path that I find myself on today. Mr. B, let me ask you a question. Directly, this is, I don't know why my mind went this direction, mm -hmm. but I feel it's important for me to ask you this. For someone who may be listening that has a regret or has done something maybe that they're not proud of or who has been hurt and it's, and it's bogging them down. How do they go on to that path? Clearly. I mean, it sounds so easy, but how do they actually do it when all of that, uh, energy is going towards that regret or maybe the pain that they're feeling from a past experience? Right. Um, and the, what I will say at first, it's not running away from that. It's not trying to bury it mm. and, and, and or else in some unfortunate cases, self-medicating with not real medicine, but a lot of things just to make one forget uh. and, and regret. This is not endorsing any of that, um, obviously. Not endorsing avoidance. Avoidance, exactly. Okay. Or, or, or covering up. Right. Uh, whatever the case may be, you're not doing that at all. Uh, but that being said... Uh, Regret, in a way, is just another feeling that you might experience. Uh, mm. And feelings are always in a state of flow. They are not permanent entities. Feel, you are not stuck on, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, you'll never be stuck on an angry way or path. You'll never be stuck on a perfectly happy path. Mm. Um, things flow. But to recognize that regret and worry over past events in a way those are feelings you can tap in to say well almost what happens when I'm worrying like this uh, physically my stomach gets into a knot my hands 
get clammy and I might have that migraine starting, all these other physical manifestations of worrying about what I've done. Um, even that, you can, in a way, step back in mindfulness and almost say, out-of-body experience type of thing, saying, this is how regret feels. Hmm. This is how anxiety feels. Hmm. Uh, but just that little switch of saying, I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I'm regretting this. Every yeah. Day. Well, you're not, you are not, in a way, anxiety. You are a physical body made up of organs that are doing their bit and a, and a mind that is so powerful. Um, that body may feel those particular feelings, but it is not of that body. You can let that go. And if this a mindfulness journey gets you better and better and better at letting go. So, so what I'm hearing, Mr. B, is recognizing that uh, these things that may be bogging people down, whether it's a regret or, or someone harmed them um, or abused them in the past experience and whatnot, recognizing that in the moment you may be experiencing a, a certain type of emotion that drains your energy. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but you're still saying you still should work through it in some capacity. You gotta, you gotta recognize that that's an emotion or feeling, but, um, let me dive into the other side of it too. How do you, to, to speaking on what you just said, letting it go to let something go personally, I think finding the root of it is the first step, which, you know, sometimes takes some self-reflection, but I'd love to hear since this is now your profession and you actually coach and teach people. And maybe I can learn something. How do you actually embrace that, whether whatever it might be, and really fundamentally dissolve it to let it go? Right. So um, you can walk clearly. Yes. The, uh, I used to call, I used the metaphor of uh, something that just can't seem, we just can't seem to get over something. Whether it's a past event, as you say, someone's hurt you, whatever the case may be. It's much like sitting in the stands at a stock car race or a you know Indy four five hundred formula car race. You're watching these cars go around the track time after time after time. Uh, it just seems that you're stuck in this stadium, and and most of those thoughts, those things that race around in our minds, are on the uh, what I'll say is the downside. They're usually something. I've read where, you know, most of our thoughts, and I'm talking the vast, you know, 80% or, or above, are usually a negative thought about ourselves throughout the course of the day. Why, wow. Why didn't I do this? Wow. Why can't I have? Or why did I? I mean, these are the constant. We're more on the side of taking ourselves down. Interesting. Than we are with building ourselves up. It is. It is. And, and mindfulness, again, is almost like what I say as treating your oldest friend, which is yourself, right. in, in, in a better way. And, and that means uh, eventually those little race cars will eventually run out of gas uh, or they'll, they'll go off track. You're not affecting them. You're sitting in the stand, uh, basically allowing them to work their way around. I but, see. But you're not chasing. You're not running after them. You're not... You're accepting. Exactly. Could that be maybe you're, the direction? You're noticing. You're noticing they're there. Right. But there's so much more to be aware of. Right. So that's just one. And again, the other one I would think of as a metaphor, and again, almost a teaching scenario, 
if you have a, a particular or parent, uh, a little child that would uh, be acting out, constantly misbehaving, or the old expression was if it was in a school, get sent down to the principal's office and you sat in the chair and, and you know, waiting to see the principal or, or go see your mother or your father type of thing and you're waiting for their admonishment hmm. or their punishment. Um, I used to think that, uh, you know, it's much like sitting with a thought. If you have a child in front of you that you're not reacting to in a way that gets you going. You're not yelling at it. You're not yeah. obviously physically going after something yeah. or someone. You're just sitting with that particular person. It could be a thought as well or a feeling. And huh. you're simply noticing that they're there. Now, what would happen with that child or, 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 or that student? A lot of times uh, they lose either interest or they want to leave on their own, you know, knowing that they're not going to get a rise out of you or there's nothing else that they could affect uh, acting the way they are. They, they, they'll want to leave. And, uh, but, but what I liked what you said there is whether it's that thought or whether it's that, ch- I mean, I coach kids sometimes, so this immediately jumped to my mind. You didn't say, you didn't say ignore. You didn't say just turn your head and pretend like it's not happening. You said notice them. Exactly. And don't react. Notice them though. Yes. yes. And eventually, as you were saying. Yes. And that's the key because like ignoring and noticing are so drastically different in that situation. And whether it's a thought or a child, I love your analogies, Mr. B. You've always had great analogies. This, this guy has had the best. It's what entertained a lot of us in school and kept us really engaged is the analogies that he could make that actually related to us, whether it was a sports analogy or a current cultural analogy to the subject that I taught was, was history. So I love that analogy. And that's just so important, noticing that thought. Because if you don't, what happens? In, in a way, like I said, it's the old catch and release. You wind up literally, imagine someone in a, in, a, in a car race in the stands, leaping from the stands, chasing a car, because that's the particular thought or car that is, is, is just constantly going around in your mind. It's just not, it's just not uh, feasible or, or, or advised. So we are constantly in a spectator's mode. Um, and to bring up, Almost like another, if I, hey, again, I'm going crazy with the analogies here, buddy, or the metaphors. But it, it's, it's bringing something up from a level of subconscious. In other words, some painful event or some hurtful thing that you want to just really subdue, ignore, beat mm. down, don't let it happen. You out. don't want to think about it. You don't want it to exactly. fall you want to keep. Yeah. It's almost like keeping something uh, boxed up or, or, or in your basement of, of the house. Yeah. And you're not letting it up and you're forcing it, you're keeping the door shut. Um, this is quite the opposite. This, this is, is like exposing. Right? Exactly. It's like literally shining a spotlight, saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like just face this." As bad as that, exactly. As bad as that trauma may be, or the or the, the, the emotion, you've got to let that out. You've got to sit with it across that table or whatever the scene you might imagine it as, and and notice how things will will flow. Um, saying, uh, you know, you can't change something from the past. You can't go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but, you know, to constantly replay it as if, what if I could or what if I did? That's the part where you have to step back and watch. 
and just sit with that. Notice as well what's feeling, saying this is me feeling regret, hmm. sitting with that in an open way. And not, again, beating yourself up over what you could have done. Sitting with it and noticing that it will eventually start to either dissolve or it will take a background role. The now comes into the, uh, into the play where you all of a sudden it's an opportunity that you have in front of you, either job-related or enjoying the beauty of the world type of thing. You're, you're, you're letting that old... You exposed it, it can now be let go, and now you have the ability to walk that path. Exactly. You're letting it be out in front of you, not stuffing it in your basement of subconscious. You're letting mm. it out. Mm. So it can be released. It can be released. Or, or dealt with, or, or, or accepted, uh, all these terms. Mr. B, I could talk with you about mindfulness literally for a whole lifetime. Yes. I know that you do have to go, um, but I did want to bring that up because I know that that's so relevant to what you're doing now. I mean, working with, you know, seniors is what you said, probably a more respectful term. I like that. Um, you probably do teach. Would you say that you do have a good deal of teaching seniors on how to deal with the regret in this kind of fashion? Absolutely. Um, or maybe a few. I mean, they've lived a lot longer than mm -hmm. youngsters, but I think it's still applicable to youngsters as well. Um, because, you know, sometimes, I mean, self-awareness is really, I believe, a skill that can be practiced. And we've talked about this before. But in the process of becoming self-aware, you dig up a lot of dirt. And whether you're young and you're trying to become aware of why you act certain ways or why you have tendencies, you're digging up a lot of dirt. Whether you're old and reflecting on your life, and maybe it's coming close to, you know, closing up the show. Um you're going to be reflecting. So upon reflections, when you dig these things up, you just want to be able to deal with them in the proper way so you can release them and move on with your life and live your best life possible. Absolutely. Um, and, and finding that best life, it, it's so simple. It really doesn't take effort, which is the best part of mindfulness, to listen. Whether it be to, uh, if you're outside walking the beach or a rail trail riding the bike, or even stuck in traffic, um, instead of working yourself up about why I, or how I could be somewhere else or uh, I'm late or what have you, that doesn't serve any, any purpose. Yeah. So while you're there, all of a sudden, okay, right now I'm just going <laughs> to let sounds come to me that I wasn't noticing before. Oh, I just noticed, oh, you know, so I just noticed a song <laughs> in someone else's car that's being played that... I particularly like, or I notice uh, it could be something from the sight world. Uh, I'm noticing now, for the first time, that these trees that we have outside, what what a you know what a great color, or or you know, and, and describing something in nature visually uh, mm -hmm. that you've never noticed before because you've been quote too busy to see what's happening around you and honing into that attention to detail. Right. What a dynamic. A way to approach life too, Mr. B. I mean, you're throwing out senses left and right, and there's we got five. I mean, some people have that sixth sense of awareness, which is the mindfulness piece, but yep. gosh, it's just such a dynamic way to experience this existence. And, and again, you, you, have, you have all the opportunities in the world to remember to catch yourself in, in, in a, you know, whatever state that you want to call it and come back to the present moment, whether it be through a sense 
even you know I don't we haven't mentioned you know, scent of or, or smell. Mm. Just taking in, for example, if you pass again, wake up and smell the coffee is what I can think of now. Oh, I thought you were gonna say the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather smell the coffee. Please. Let me tell you. But yeah, <laughs> any of these are what I call the anchors. To remember to come back to the present and and feast on the present. What, right. What, what you were, because again, you don't know what you have till it's gone. Throw that one out there. A person who has one of those senses eliminated, like someone who has lost sight. Mm. You can imagine how much more the other four senses are alive. Oh gosh! So, um, yeah. And then you really appreciate, you know, what other people have that, that may have passed for you. But um, again, we should do. We should really dive in. What I want to do too with Mr. B on on a future podcast is dive into flow because we haven't talked too much about flow, which is also another beautiful thing about this topic. I experience it. I used to experience it in hockey. Athletes experience it. Now I'm experiencing it myself in sales when I'm on the phone. And you know, you just get into that state of flow. But we're sure. gonna have to. We're gonna sure. have to save some content here. So, um, anyways, I, Mr. B, I know you gotta go. So let's wrap things up. I just want to say, what do you want people to remember, Chris or Christopher? Whichever you go by, Christopher Brenner, by when you're long and gone. Ah, uh, jeez, Jack. Um, boom. Yeah, <laughs> boom. Um, well, the, going back to my original statement of remembering the other side of the desk uh, and, and staying in tune with a person's uh, needs and then trying to help or address those needs, someone who cared and uh, hmm. shared and cared. Um, you can never stop doing that from cradle to grave. Um, and that's real. Uh, they, 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 people feed off your sense of honest, uh, caring and, and sharing and being connected, opening up your, like your, your circle of friends and, and relations. So uh, somebody who cared. And there you have it. Well, Jack the Realtor and Chris Brenner. Signing off. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. And please, share, share, share. Word of mouth is my oxygen. As the great Gary Vaderchuk says, take care, everybody.